worth bothering with the ink and paper to calculate interest when it's so low, you know. And that's how a lot of depositors feel. All right. Now, under the gold standard, it's a little bit different because these uh, depositors are really victims. They're helpless. They can complain all they want, but that's not going to uh, make a change. Another way of expressing this is that in terms of time preference, the guys at the other end of the spectrum have a pious hope. Time preference is just a pious hope for them. Let's pray that the interest rate goes up and then we get some real return, our hard-earned money, you know. And all that return is wiped out by far the rate of inflation. So actually, they deposit the money in the uh, savings account and then sit back and watch the value of their hard-earned money evaporate over time. Very frustrating experience. So, under the gold standard it's different because there is a cutoff here. And that's, we call that guy, there's always one single guy there, we call him the marginal bondholder. Well, it's too long to write, so marginal now to the left, please uh, draw it in red. Mm -hmm. No, the line, this ah, line in red. The sub-marginal bondholder simply refuses to carry the bond. He will, he will sell his gold bond and carry gold, cash gold. In, in the gold standard, there are the gold coins circulating, and he can just... Uh, sell his gold bond for gold coins and he keeps the gold coins not because he is a Scrooge and Keynes talks about the pathological case of the, those people who get an uplift just palm, palm the gold coin and get your strength from that which is so foolish uh, you know, uh, this, uh, uh, and he's, what uh, Keynes says that I pass this case with a shudder to the psychiatrist because it's no longer economics. It is, it is psychiatry. You know, this is so foolish. What actually happens? of course is very different. What happens is that the 
as the interest rate falls on the gold bond, uh, some of the may not be all, some of them may be comfortable with the low uh, rate of return. But definitely, it's obvious that some of them will get more and more frustrated. And as the interest rate falls further, they just say enough is enough. And they sell the, their gold bond. And they sell their gold bond not for paper, even a gold certificate, which is paper, is not good enough for them. They want the gold coin. Okay? And then they hold on, hang on to the gold coin. Why? Because this is their weapon to fight back those forces which push down the rate of interest. So in other words, time preference is no longer a pious wish because it has teeth. Namely, people, the bondholders, can fight back. They can sell their gold bond. And as they sell, they push up the price of the gold bond. You see? They push up the price of gold. Push down. Now push down. 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 Push there's no, no countervailing force. But under the gold standard there is because the gold, because the marginal bondholder is the first guy who sells the gold bond. But there are lots of others indicated by red who are already out. They have sold earlier. And as they increase in number, the pressure will increase in the market for the rate of interest to go up. Okay? And when it has gone up sufficiently, they go back. In other words, they take their gold coins and buy the gold bond. However, and that's very important. They buy back the gold bond at a, what, at a lower price. So this is their incentive. They are conscious of the fact that in selling their bonds, they are missing the yield. Okay? However, they will recover that and maybe recover that with... Uh, uh, with uh, um, additional uh, additional uh, they recover more let's put it that way because there is this arbitrage you see they have sold high and bought low and that's their profit. 
So they are not crying that, oh, I'm not getting my usual return. They are not crying because they know they have to do that and they'll be well compensated for this because when enough bondholders take the same stand, that is what I call teeth. Time preference has teeth which forces the market to obey them because after all <laughs> if they did not buy the bonds there would be no bond market. So if the bond market wants to survive then they have to follow <coughs> their not wishes anymore but their instructions. The bondholders especially in this part of the spectrum, the red. They are the boss. And ultimately, they will prevail. And you see, this will bring about a kind of equilibrium. There, there will be not, no such extreme uh, variation in the gold rate of interest because this acts continuously. If the banks, and that's typical, the banks want to force down the rate of interest because then they have more business. And the bondholders, especially the submarginal bondholders, have a countervailing force. Okay? So the banks are selling and the marginal and submarginal bondholders are buying. Uh, let's see. Is <coughs> when you no, I'm sorry, the other way up. Uh, the banks lend money and that corresponds to uh, buying the bond and uh, the bondholders are selling. So there, there is a real market there, you know. And that's, these are basically the forces of determining uh, what? See, I started out by saying, let's look at the forces and circumstances which determine the two, the uh, ceiling and the floor. So let me ask you, this kind of arbitrage between, oh, perhaps we want to put it down. This is gold and this is gold bond. And the marginal bondholder is doing arbitrage between the gold market and the gold bond market. Okay, so the marginal bondholder is doing arbitrage. The word arbitrage should be somewhere. Okay, is, is, is that clear that we have an arbitrage situation between two markets? And the actor is the marginal bondholder. And as a result, 
of his action, one of the two, the ceiling or the floor, and I'm asking you which, is going to be formed. So what this arbitrage is for us at the moment is an explanation how is this extreme formed. So the ceiling and the floor. Which of the two, this is a theater and the name of the play is fixing or determining the extreme of the range of the interest. Which of the two? Well, it's the ceiling of the bond price, therefore the floor of the interest rate. That's right, that's right. So we need another... The, the seesaw and the two extremes. No, the the other extreme as well. Oh, right. Okay. So, in this case, yeah, this is the bond price. So this this vertical and this is the rate of interest. And what we have just described is how this extreme comes about, the black, okay? This is an extreme because, you know, there are other possibilities. But now we know the interest rate won't go lower because that's the floor, whereas the red would be the ceiling. So that is the floor and up there is the ceiling. See, no, this is the bond price. The ceiling, uh, floor ceiling refers to the rate of interest. Here we use the term the lowest rate of interest is the asked price. Okay? Well, you don't have to write it down. Thank you. So is it clear? We have described an arbitrage situation. It's a theater. A theater. It's the bond market. And somebody is doing arbitrage in this, and we give the name of the marginal bondholder to this fellow who is... And, and you, you know the person of, of that uh, marginal bondholder is immaterial because it could change from uh, day to day or even more frequently than that. Or in a very quiet situation, the person of the mar marginal bondholder would change 
once a month or something like that, or maybe uh, once a year, if it's very, very quiet and, and in a very uh, static mode. But we look at it as a role, the marginal bondholder. And he will do arbitrage, as we have seen on the other chart, between the gold market and the gold bond market. Okay? So this is the black position of the seesaw. Okay? This, how this the floor for the rate of interest is being formed, what forces are in play, what conditions are there, okay? But then, similarly, we would like to explain the formation of the ceiling, and that's the red extreme of the of the seesaw. Any questions? Uh, you, you can ask a question. <laughs> um. <laughs> Let me think. Okay. Um. So how is this? How how is it? Um, how is this usurped in the current? banking system then, Professor. The individual used to have the choice about the determination of the interest rate. So in the current in the current regime, how how has this been usurped? In the current regime, this is missing because the banks prevail. If the banks want to push down the rate of interest if they wish all the way to zero. This is what happened in perhaps for the first time ever. I, I'm not uh, an expert on the history of interest rates. Somebody talked about, you talked about the book, of, somebody talked about the book, The History of Interest Rates. Who was that? Might have been Peter. Ah, yeah. Uh, okay, we would have to ask him, mm -hmm. but I, I'm pretty sure that such low interest rates prevailing such a long period of time uh, is, is unprecedented. There's just no precedence for this. And why? Well, because the, the teeth of time preference is missing has been extracted when uh, the gold was pulled from the pockets of the bondholders. You see? Without teeth, I keep repeating, time preference is just a pious wish. You know, uh, let's hope that interest rates will come back. But <laughs> what are the forces which will, without gold, 
Well, it, oh, it could come back with a vengeance, because there are other scenarios, but they won't stabilize. Gold is also a stabilizing force, because not only it will readjust if the rate is pushed down too far, but also we'll find a point where it can stabilize. And stability of the rate of interest is very, very important. Uh, some people say the gold standard failed because it failed to stabilize prices. That's a foolish statement because stable price level is neither possible nor desirable. It, the change in the price level is a message which producers can read and adjust their ways accordingly. So it's not desirable to have a stable. Well, no, of course, we all understand that an extremely volatile price level is also undesirable. What we need is a slowly adjusting price level so that the producers can, uh, can uh, change their offering accordingly, following the wishes of the consumer. That's understood. But uh, it adjustable, yes, but not viol no violent changes which is, of course, it would be a pathology. So that's, that's one important remark in this regard. Another thing which I could add at this point is what you would like to see. I am urging you to try and see it, that this is the difference between uh, present goods and future goods in a crystallized form, in the, the purest form. I mean, obviously, an apple right here is a present good, and the promise of an apple tomorrow is a future good, and they are different. That's quite clear. But when, you know, to, to make exchanges between a present apple and an apple from a year is not a practical problem, or even more, if you want to see this, exchange of one apple today with two apples a hundred years from now is, is not a practical problem because Nobody is proposing that there is any profit in making an exchange like this, you see. And, uh, however, in a crystallized form, there is going to be an exchange between present and future goods. And that is it. This 
black line. Because a gold coin is strictly a peasant good. I mean, you can touch it, you can very often <laughs> drop it to, to hear the, uh, what's the word of the? Sonority. <laughs> no, no one you yeah. And then some people bite it because if you can bite it, ah. <laughs> oh, the word the word I was looking for is ring. The gold coin has a ring, and the silver coin has a different ring and a coin made of base metals again has a different ring and there are people who can with closed eye can pick the gold coin just by listening to the ring okay so all these things you can do with a gold coin which you cannot do with a gold bond. Okay? That's important. So at best, the gold bond is a future good. And in fact it is, because it promises you the real thing. Right? Now, this is a point where I have come into conflict with Mises. Because Mises says that paper money is just as much a present good as a gold coin is. And even if it's irredeemable, doesn't have to be a gold certificate. But take a gold certificate, you know, as an example which is uh, perhaps acceptable to some. That's what Mises says. Gold certificate, which used to be paper money in, for instance, in, uh, in the United States before 1933. Okay? There were gold certificates and some people found it convenient and the, it could discharge a lot of tasks which the gold coin is discharging. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Mises says that a gold <coughs> certificate can discharge all the functions which a gold coin can. No exception, provided that uh, there's no question about its, uh, you know, the reliability of the government which issued it, and it's, it's a mature instrument, not like it's a, uh, a bill which will pay you gold two months from now. If it's mature and it com commands confidence, then every 
task which the gold coin can perform, the gold certificate can also perform. Now I demur. I don't agree with Mises because, and by the way, I don't agree with Ricardo, okay, who a hundred years earlier said much the same thing because he was the one who advocated the gold bullion standard which uh, made the smallest unit which you can withdraw 400 ounces. It's about 12 and a half kilograms. It's a bar, they call it, this exists today, also international gold bar. Good delivery bar, because the biggest gold market in the world is in London, and they will accept it. Well, of course, it's stamped, and uh, serial numbers put in, and the history of such a bar is recorded somewhere, so you can uh, track it down. If you have any doubts about the, uh, the uh, uh, the, uh, the gold bar which you are offered, you can go to the registry in London and find out that such a serial number is in the records, and if it is, then uh, various owners, various banks, uh, you know, which owned it and passed it. And, uh, okay, now, this is not valid, the statement that everything what you can use the gold coin for, you can use the gold certificate. Why? What's the exception? That's what we are, we are talking about. The exception is that <laughs> if you don't have gold coins, then you frustrate the marginal bondholder. He cannot do his arbitrage. And without this arbitrage, the interest rate becomes blurred, you know. And that is very interesting. I mean, Ricardo, no doubt, was a very great economist of the 19th century, say 19th century. And Mises was a very great, perhaps the greatest economist of the 20th century. And they made this blunder of making that statement. Now, in our story, you wouldn't make that mistake. You would strictly keep gold coin in the present goods category and the gold certificate in the future good category. I mean, you cannot test the gold certificate the way you can test the gold coin. You know? And that's a very, very important difference. 
between present good and future good. So I think we stop here, but I, uh, I want you to think about that. Difference between present good and future good, and what this black line represents is arbitrage between present and future goods. So that's pretty clear that it has to have an influence on the rate of interest. And that is the justification for the uh, time preference theory of interest. Fully justified. Okay, then uh, we have the break. 15 minute coffee break. Um, back, uh, back then. Thanks very much, Professor.